Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. All right, here we go. Family, let's pray. God, I thank you for each and every person here. God, we never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice gets something out of the message today they can use. They'll be able to use this message and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this word and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Please lift your Bibles up and say this confession with me. Say, this is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God has created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me, my Bible, in Jesus' name, amen. Family, I present to you our first image for today. You know, we, we're talking about these four quadrants or extremes. These are extremes as it relates to the relationship or extreme pairings with your flesh and your spirit. In talking through these extremes, just starting from the bottom left and going clockwise, you can have a weak flesh and a weak spirit. We call that the condition where you starve both your flesh and you starve your spirit. So starve, starve. You can have a strong flesh and a weak spirit. You can have a strong flesh and a strong spirit. You can have a weak flesh and a strong spirit. And that's, of course, where we aspire to be. Wherever something is weak, you are starving it. Whenever something is strong, <laughs> you're giving that boy a good grocery. You feel me? You're feeding him. I believe last time when we went through all of the details of all these extremes, that I gave sufficient enough explanation to where everyone should, got, should have a good feel for what's going on in each one of those squares. If by chance you were unable to be here Physically, hopefully you heard the, the audio. If not, it should be on podcast. Go and get it. That'll get you all caught up. When we departed, though, last time, I gave you two 
very specific points regarding that extreme in the upper right. We're going to call it the third extreme when I count clockwise from the bottom left. And that's the condition of a strong flesh and a strong spirit. We call that feed, feed. Feeding both of them. What were those two points? Give me my next image, please. The two points that we left you with are these. That strong flesh and strong spirit extreme or quadrant or boundary or area or space, whatever word we put in there, the two points is that scenario right there is sneaky and deceptively toxic to the believer. I did not go into detail on those two extremes last time we were together, but I dedicate this session to this particular extreme. In particular, we're going to talk about those two points, how it's sneaky and toxic. When a person exists in this extreme, what they are really attempting to do is they are attempting to reside in two opinions. They are attempting to straddle the fence between their flesh and their connection with God. Unfortunately, for the life of a believer, there is no straddling the fence with God. You are either on God's side completely or you are somehow still following your flesh. And it can happen. I want you to reflect back on Mr. King David. King David was a believer. King David was a man who had faith in God. King David had so much confidence in God that as a young boy, he stood before a gigantic warrior named Goliath, that big Philistine, and he slayed that bad boy with a sling and a smooth stone. Cut his head off with a sword when he was done. You ain't going to tell me that David, you know, that David wasn't what we would, we would call a Christian. You know, he wasn't somebody that could get born again. But we, we would, today we would call him a Christian. And when you think about David, God even had a, a special criteria when he selected David to be king. Listen to Samuel. Listen to the book of Samuel. In the book of Samuel, chapter 1 Samuel, I should say, chapter 13, verse 14, Amplified Classic. Samuel is talking to Saul after Saul didn't messed up. Verse 14 says this, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out David, a man after his own heart, and the Lord shall command him to be prince and ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. God chose David because David was a person after God's own heart. So don't tell me that David was not on team God. 
He was team guard down. He had the shirt. He had the gear. He had the cap turned to the side. He was team guard 100%. But even while he was repping team guard, David still tried to straddle the fence. He tried to tiptoe over into the flesh. And the account that we focus on is his relation with a woman named Bathsheba. In 2 Samuel, easy to read version, chapter 11, verses 2 through 4, read this way. One evening he got up, he meaning David, from his bed and walked around on the roof of his house. From there he saw a woman bathing. She was very beautiful. So David sent for his officers and asked them, who is she? What her name? Who this baby is? And she looked fine to me. An officer answered, that is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam. She is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David sent messengers to go and bring Bathsheba to him. She had just purified herself after her monthly time of bleeding. She went to David. He had sexual relations with her. And then she went back to her house. After fulfilling this desire of his flesh, David took several steps to cover up his misdeed. Up to and including planning the death of this woman's husband, Uriah. We pick it up in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 14, also easy to read version. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and made Uriah carry the letter, made him carry his own letter. Woo, don't tell me you can't get caught up, get lost in the sauce. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and made Uriah carry the letter. In the letter, David wrote, put Uriah on the front lines where the fighting is hardest. Then leave him there alone and let him be killed in battle. Joab watched the city and saw where the bravest Amorites were. He chose Uriah to go to that place. The men of the city came out to fight against Joab. Some of David's men were killed. Uriah the Hittite was one of them. Uriah the Hittite was killed in battle. Now, when he's killed in battle, my man's David is nowhere to be found. He's nowhere in the vicinity. Seemingly, he has no part in it, but we know better. God knows better, too. Even though David did not kill this man physically, even though he did not, you know, throw the stone or thrust the knife or, or swing the sword or wield the hatchet, however it happened, even though the, the striking blow did not occur by his hands, he still arranged the hit. And the fact that he arranged the hit, that he arranged this man's death, Uriah's blood is on David's hands. David is a murderer. I want you to look at 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 1. Eventually, the prophet Nathan shows up and tells David a little story. Starting in verse 1, he says, it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. 
Nathan went to him and said, here comes the story, there were two men in a city. One man was rich, but the other man was poor. The rich man had lots of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one female lamb that he bought. The poor man fed the lamb, and the lamb grew up with this poor man and his children. She ate from the poor man's food and drank from his cup. The lamb, the lamb slept on the poor man's chest. The lamb was like a daughter to the poor man. Then the traveler stopped to visit the rich man. Then a traveler stopped to visit the rich man. The rich man wanted to give food to the traveler, but he did not want to take any of his own sheep or cattle to feed the traveler. No, the rich man took the lamb from the poor man and cooked it for his visitor. David became very angry, at the rich, angry with the rich man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who did this should die. He must pay four times the price of the lamb because he did this terrible thing and because he had no mercy. Obviously, David's response at this point is quite objective. Look at his initial response. Go back to, go back to verse 5. Look at his initial, initial response right now. This man is incensed. He's mad. He's angry. He's P to the O. It says, David became very angry with the rich man. As the Lord lives, the man who did this should die. David is ready to show this dude no mercy. He's ready to take him out. He's ready to take him down. As a matter of fact, verse 6 says he should pay this man four times as much. David not playing. He's not mixing words. This is David's response initially to the narrative. That is until Nathan hits him with the punchline. Verse 7. Nathan says, David, you are that rich man. David, that's you. David initially was saying, listen, this rascal should die. But all of a sudden, now that he knows that he is the rich man, because Nathan has skillfully forced him to look at his own dirt. David now realizes he is the one that's in error. He is the one that has been roped into following his own flesh. Just continuing verses 7, verse 7 through the beginning of 13. Then Nathan said to David, you are that rich man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I chose you to be king of Israel. I saved you from Saul. I let you take his family and his wives and made you king of Israel and Judah. As if that, would, if that had not been enough, I would have given you more and more. So why did you ignore my command? I like that. No, nowhere in him, you know, 
pulling Bathsheba in that they say the Lord gave him a command. I take that to mean there was something resonating inside of him that he knew the wrong he was doing. So why did you ignore my command? Why did you do what I say is wrong? You let the Amorites kill Uriah the Hittite. You took his wife. It is as if you yourself kill Uriah in war. He's a murderer. So your family will never have peace. When you took Uriah's wife, you showed that you did not respect me. This is what the Lord says. I am bringing trouble against you. This trouble will come from your own family. I will take your wives from you and give them to someone who is very close to you. He will have sexual relations with your wives and everyone will know it. You had sexual relations with Bathsheba in secret, but I will punish you so that all the people of Israel can see it. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said to David, the Lord will forgive you even for this sin. You will not die. And if you were to go through that, he goes on to tell him, but that baby and other stuff, we can't let that continue. Look back at the beginning of verse 13. David says, he finally, he's showing remorse. I have sinned against the Lord. At this particular time, his eyes are open. He realized what he's done. David, the man who is after God's own heart, has fulfilled the dictates of his flesh. What I want us to glean from this passage is this. Family, when you are on the outside looking in, it is easy to see when someone is satisfying their flesh. When you on the outside looking in, your vision is clear. When you are on the outside looking in, you, you, you can look at things objectively through that Christian, that spiritual, that correct lens, and you can evaluate it the right way. You evaluate it the right way, you make the corresponding responses and actions based on, I'm evaluating this thing the way God wants me to evaluate it. You're looking at it with the right spiritual lens. Doggone it, but when you on the inside. When you are the one following the flesh. When you are the one sniffing around. When you are the one doing the dirt. When you are the one knee deep in the stuff that don't smell so good. When you are the one, when you are the main character who's starring in that film called The Stuff I Shouldn't Be Doing. When that's you, it can be difficult to see that what you are doing is satisfying your flesh. Look at this image. I want to know if anybody's familiar with the film that goes by this title. Stuff I shouldn't be doing. 
starring you, starring me. Has anybody ever been in this film before? Posing for the credits, come on. The Oscar goes too, except it's not, it's not, a, it's not a joke. You're not just playing a role. You chasing after what the flesh want, and you're chasing it like you want it to have it too. You're not playing with it. You fill in the blank though. What is the stuff that you shouldn't that you shouldn't be doing? We're gonna just this just don't move forward past this one. This is the stuff that you want to be doing, that you shouldn't be doing. And you ever, you, ever, you ever seen somebody ask a question of people and they say to the crowd, and you know who you are? <laughs> That's what I'm saying to you. That's why I put question marks up there. The stuff that you're not supposed to be doing, and you know what it is. Because you tell yourself you're not supposed to be doing it. But when you are the star of the show, when you are on the inside of the activity, in some cases, it can be almost impossible for you to realize and see and discern that you are a slave to the flesh's whim. Because you're in it. You, could, you, you, are, you are so lost in what your flesh wants that all you are doing is focusing on how to get the flesh what the flesh wants. And while you are saying yes to your flesh, you are not listening or you are ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit on the inside of you that's trying to tell you no. That, loved ones, gets us to our very first point of toxic, toxicity. Did I say that right? Yeah. Toxicity. That is why that extreme, where you have a, a, a strong flesh and a strong spirit, in particular, the strong flesh part, that is why it is, it is so toxic to the believer. Flesh-driven activities. Those are things that block your spiritual hearing. Say this with me. Flesh-driven activities dampen my spiritual hearing, blur my spiritual vision, and skew my moral compass. In short, flesh-driven activities erect barriers. And those barriers do two things. The first thing that they do is they hinder the free flow of communication between you and God. The second thing those flesh-driven activities do is this. They interfere with the clarity of his counsel. That is why when you exist in that region where you are feeding your flesh and also feeding your spirit, that this thing is toxic. 
anything, I mean anything, any person, any activity, anything that dampens or muffles or hinders or reduces your ability to connect with God and receive his guidance, that thing is like introducing spiritual venom into your life. It is absolutely unhealthy. And it does not belong in the life of a believer. Beyond toxicity, this scenario that we're talking about, this extreme number three, is also, oh, it's very sneaky. I want you to observe something with David and Bathsheba. My man David was knee deep into his dirt and didn't even realize it. I'm talking, he wasn't just down the road to doing wrong. David was on the road, done went down the road 100 miles, done built a house with sin materials, and then was comfortably living in the house that his flesh built. And he was good with that. He had no plans to change that. He had no plans to go back and, 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 and correct any of his wrongs. Why? Because he was blind to the fact that what he was doing is serving the dictates of his flesh. You know I had to eventually turn this on us, right? We can be the same way. We can be absolutely the same way. Hear me clear on this, family. We could be feeding our flesh and not even realize it. Actually, I believe most believers exist right here. They feed their flesh and they don't even realize it. Mostly because the things that they feed their flesh, they do not consider those things to be major. But it is not the major things in life that trip us up, loved ones. Most often than not, it's the small things. Look at the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, King James Version, verse 15. It reads this way. Take us, the, take us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. Vines, like your relationship with God, family, are alive. But if you allow small foxes to run in and out of your vineyard, Scratching up the ground, digging holes around your root system, what is designed and meant to be alive will begin to wither and die. We must stay vigilant to guard against the sneaky little things such as that. Here's how Paul put it. Galatians chapter 5, 
verse 9 in the King James Version. Very simple verse. It says this, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Listen to that in the voice version of the Bible. It reads, who has impeded your progress? Start, I'm starting in verse 7, verse 7 through 9. Who has impeded your progress and kept you from obeying the truth? You were off to such a good start. I know for certain the pressure isn't coming from God. He keeps calling you to the truth. You know what they say. A little yeast causes that dough to rise. So even the slightest detour, so I like this version, so even the slightest detour from the truth will take you to a destination you do not desire. The King James says, a little leaven leavens the lump. But the voice gives me the amplification that I'm looking for. It says, a little leaven causes all the dough to rise, comma, so even the slightest detour from the truth. Have you, have you ever heard of the term gateway drug? A gateway drug, they call it that because, you know, it's the entrance to a worse drug habit. Something that starts off small. You know, sometimes they say like, like marijuana, they sometimes call it a gateway drug. It gets you a little buzz, may give you the munchies. It's not going to cause you to go out and necessarily kill nobody. It just gives you a nice high. But ain't nothing, right, ain't nothing wrong with that, right? Well, it's a gateway. Because depending on your flesh's reaction, your flesh can say, you know, that little puff puff on that weed was good this time, but it's not giving me the buzz long, long enough that I want. So we need to try something else. And so someone could come along and say, well, if you like this, I know you're going to like this. So you go from, the, from puffing on that to the powder or the injection or the rock or the pill. And it all started because you took the slightest detour. And it doesn't have to be that kind of substance. You know, adrenaline is a drug. Adrenaline is a drug. You ever, you ever see those, those people that you say that absolutely lost their mind when you see them jump off the side of a cliff and just float like a bat with those wing things? And you wonder, what good product are they smoking? I don't even do drugs that I'm interested. If it make you do that, that's got to be some good stuff right there. <laughs> that's some grade A narcotic, you feel me? But you've seen it. Somewhere in their youth, they start off just jumping a ramp over a, bicycle, over a little, little bicycle, and then they jumped off the high dive. Then they went cliff diving in the Bahamas somewhere, in Jamaica. And then eventually somebody's like, if you do that, you know, do this. And then they parasailing, they're doing all kind, of, they're all kind of stuff that don't make no sense to normal people. <laughs> My son and I were watching TV the other day, and you see those people that rock climb, right? Yeah. And I, I might rock climb at the YMCA. 
I might, I might take a chance, you know, I'm harnessed up. I might take a chance on, on that 20 feet. But we talking about people on the mountain. And all that's them is this them, God, gravity, and ground. That's it. And we were sitting there, and these people, the climbing is so extreme that you can't do it in a day. So they like drill into the side of the mountain with like a hammock and sleep in there. They actually go to sleep. They actually go to sleep. I, 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 we looked at our, we say, can you, do you see this? But we, they call them thrill seekers. Because it doesn't matter what the quote-unquote drug is for your flesh, it wants what it wants. Verse 9 in the voice, you know what they say. Just a little yeast causes the, all the dough to rise, so even the slightest detour from the truth will take you to a destination you do not desire. Family, say this with me. Say, a little leaven. A little leaven. Now, for those of you who, who, who bake or who know about baking, <laughs> you realize that leaven or yeast is a, is a product or a substance that they add to a dough mixture to get it to rise. When you think about the leaven in proportion to the mixture, the leaven is only a very small part. As a matter of fact, by the time you mix it in, you never even know the leaven is there. Even though that leaven is in a small amount, though, it makes a big change in that dough. That leaven causes that dough to rise. It causes it to rise and become bigger than it was before. The same effect occurs with the little things we feed our flesh. Let's go back to our film. We previously had question marks in there. But given that I didn't want to go off and take a poll, I figured I would put some things in there, but I think I got a lot of them. I think I got a lot of them. We have a couple things in here. Because the things that we do, yeah, the things, the things that we do, I'm coming for that. The things that we do, that things that we do, that, some of that things we shouldn't be doing. For the benefit of the lady in the back, let's take that first one, eating. She know it's all love. <laughs> Eating. Family, there are things that we consume that we know we shouldn't be. There are things that we eat that we flat out know they're bad for us or, or they go against that health goal that you keep resetting every year. 
this is the third year in a row you've started off the year wanting to lose 10 pounds and you gain 10 every year. You're going in the wrong way. In case you didn't notice, you're going in the wrong way. But when it comes to the stuff I should not be doing, when you are in that film eating, when it's bad for you and it's going against your health goals, you know you're not supposed to be doing it, it's stuff that you are doing. And when you do that, if that is you, what you are doing is you are adding leaven to your flesh. And every time you add that leaven, your flesh grows. It grows in size and it grows in strength. Strength. It says, you know what? I asked for it the first time and you gave it to me. I asked for it the second time and you gave it to me. I go from asking to telling. I go from telling to demanding. I go from demanding to throwing a tantrum. Why? Because every time I asked for it before, you gave it to me. You're sprinkling leaven in your flesh. And a little leaven. Leaveneth the lump. Now you say to yourself, and you think and you believe, there is no way. I am not driven by my flesh. I am not serving the dictates of, your, your, of my flesh. Well, you keep believing that with your saved self. Because the reality is, every time your flesh asks for something, you tell it yes. When it asks for that particular food item, you don't tell it no, you tell it yes. And every time you tell it yes, you're adding in leaven. And every time you add the leaven, it grows in strength. Yeah. That's you. But, but you say... It's the stuff I shouldn't be doing. And it makes you mad that you know the title of the film and still do it anyway. And as you sit there, quoting your favorite scripture and putting that thing in your mouth, you still try to convince yourself that you are not flesh-driven. But my God, my God, from the outside looking in, you are flesh-driven. Why? Because you keep eating that. You keep smoking that. You keep drinking that. You keep saying that. You are flesh driven because you keep dating her even though you know she bad for you. You keep dating him even though you know he bad for you. You're flesh driven. Yes, you are. Don't tell me you're not because you keep going there. You're not flesh driven. Yes, you're flesh driven. Why? Because you keep watching that. You really believe you are not a slave to your flesh. In your mind, I cannot be slave to my flesh. I know too much word. 
I can't be flesh, I can't be slave to my flesh. I pray too much. I can't be slave to my flesh. I communicate with God too often. Hey, I'm a child after God's own heart. In my heart of hearts, I know, I believe, there is no way I am feeding my flesh. You keep believing that if you want to. You cannot believe that you are taking actions that are strengthening your flesh, but you are wrong. And the reason you can't see it is because, once again, this scenario is so sneaky to the believer. Miss Greta, excuse me, may I, may I hold your cell phone for a second, quick second? These devices right here. When we're talking about feeding your flesh, and I tell you it's not always about food, I present to you your cell phone or your tablet or your computer. Whatever, whatever you use to reach out to the virtual world. I want you to say, these, say this with me. Say, such items, such items are leaven distributors. We talk about gateway drugs. Those items are gateways to your virtual church. Give me the image. We're going to say this together. They are your gateway to the greater global church of Levin International. That's right, Pastor Posted. <laughs> Reverend Read Me Now. Uh, yes. Bishop, you better check me out before you go to bed. Uh. The greater global church of Levin, let that roll off your tongue. Say that with me. The greater global church of Levin International. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Loved ones, you think that there is absolutely no harm with you providing your attention to your person or those persons online. You don't see nothing wrong with giving your attention to that streaming service or that person or those people, that organization on YouTube or Instagram or Tickety Talk or, 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 or Twitter or a podcast or Facebook. Listen, that's just a splattering. It's, it's, it's literally tens and tens and tens of opportunities that you have to give your attention to something virtual. And you say to yourself, while your finger doing the walking, 
while you swiping across the screen, while you putting your headphones on, you saying to yourself, it's only audio. It's only a video. What is the harm in that? You convince yourself that it is harmless, but what you do not realize, because it's a sneaky scenario that you are feeding your flesh, why? Because these rascals at this church are leaven distributors. You are convincing yourself that this platform is harmless, but you are wrong. The fact is they are dispensing leaven in you and that leaven is causing your flesh to grow. The more time you get these people and these platforms, you are unconsciously beginning to change to either mirror them or become what they want you to become. Remember, you on, you on the inside, but on the outside, to the observer, it's clear, you are beginning to act like them. You are beginning to talk like them. The words they use are the words you use. Your language used to be clean. Now I look, I look, get the, and I'm going to kick yo, and I'm going to whoop yo, just roll off your tongue. The phrases that they use. Where in the world did you get that from? Anyone who's ever, anyone who's ever been a parent and raise, you know, raise children up to, to where you had, you know, you can see them at all stages. You instantly know when your child come home bumping their guns with some foolishness that they've been around somebody that ain't like you. You can pick that up quick. Where you get that from? Who, who, who said that? You might not even tell them right away because you want them to talk long enough so you didn't know who the, who, who, who the source is. Because you want to get to the source, you feel me? Because you got to, you don't, listen, I need to know. Is it your teacher? Is it your friend? Is it my auntie? Who? But you start using their phrase. Why? Because every time you sit in the pew and you get them know, your, your attention, they sprinkling in that leaven. You begin to dress like them. Child, you see what she was wearing? I like that. Now you in the mall looking for one. Whether it looked good on you or not, it don't matter. You saw her wearing it. Yo, you saw the dude fit. He was fitted nice. Now here you go looking for it. Don't even sell those shoes in your side. You just scrump your toes in there. You can't even walk. You can't even walk. Can't even walk good. Try and look cute. 
You know it's true. That's why it's funny. They don't sell that dress in your size. Now you take your pictures and posting them, trying to pull down the fabric, and it's, it just don't. You sat in that church, and you let those people dump that leaven into your flesh, and your flesh started to desire it, and you, instead of loving the person you are, loving who God made you, accepting you for who you are, embracing yourself, you let that person tell you how you're supposed to look, and now, when you can't look like that, you're down on yourself. God never expected you or wanted you to turn yourself into them. He made you uniquely you. Where did that idea come from? Someone to put leaven in your flesh. And yet, every time your eyes open, you virtually drive yourself to the parking lot of that church and go in. You are a faithful member. The Greater Global Church of Levin International. You say, Pastor, you still got an item up there, that disconnect. Yeah, I saved that one for the last. Because that's one that really burns me up the most. What do I mean? Believers try to convince themselves that they are not feeding their flesh. They feel that they're not flesh driven. I'm spirit led. No, you flesh led. You flesh led because from the outside it's clear. You are so much driven by the leaven that's been put in your flesh and your flesh has gotten so strong that you will even, you, you're clueless. You're clueless that you will disconnect from family who is present and loves you to spend virtual time with people who don't even know your name. You will distance yourself from a loved one who is trying to give you all of them to give them a fragment of you, just your body sitting there because you want to go spend time with God knows who, who don't even know who you are. They like your, they, they like your likes, though. They like your viewership, though. Because... The products that they're, that they're displaying, they're being given those because they're attracting you. You're the reason they're getting paid. Why do I care that you have a baby? People have babies all the time. Why is, why is that worth me spending my time hours and hours looking at you have a baby? It's been happening since Adam met Eve. You ain't special. Now get this, I, I, I don't want to belittle because having children is a miracle. I love that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you are in the vicinity of real people. People 
that are choosing to be with you. People that are trying to celebrate you, that are trying to embrace you, that are trying to show you that they care. And you don't have enough dignity to put that thing down and let those people love on you. You attend the church, the greater global church of Levin International, and they sprinkle enough leaven into your flesh to now your flesh drive you to disconnect. Now, it's sad because I say that most believers leave it, live in this space, and I believe it. Why? Because they don't even recognize it's happening. Why don't they recognize it? The same way David didn't recognize it. Because in that film of stuff that you shouldn't be doing, that you know you shouldn't be doing, it's easy to see it when you're on the outside looking in. When you sitting in, when you sitting in the auditorium watching the film, have you ever seen somebody and you looking at a scary movie and they be like, why are they going in there? Why are they going in there? You say to yourself, if I was starring in this film, the film would be all the two minutes long. You walk in, the house make a scary noise, you get in your car, you leave. I don't care how much I pay for it. I don't care what's in it. I don't care what neighborhood it's in, my behind is gone. You in it, and you out of it. You done paid $10 to see a two-minute movie starring me, because I'm gone. But now let's, 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 make, this more, let's make this more personal and less comical. Whenever she is with him and he is bad for her, but her heart is connected to him, she is in the film. And from the inside, she cannot see that the best solution for her is to let him go. Why? Because the flesh want her to stay. For whatever reason. Now from the outside, you see her crying all the time. You see the broken self-esteem. You see the fact that he riding nice and she riding raggedy. You see the fact that he dressing nice and she dressing raggedy. You see the fact that she's giving him everything and he's giving her nothing. You see all of this, but you know what? From the inside, she can't see that. From the inside, she's the main character. And as the main character, you don't know that you're tied to what the flesh wants. The same with him. He can't see it. He's tied to it. So when I talk about believers being in this space, I'm not saying they're in this space on purpose meaning that they just woke up one morning to say, I want to be in this space. They really believe that they're not following the dictates of the flesh, but family, a little leaven. 
Am I saying or implying that people in this space don't love God? No, they have a strong spirit. Of course they love God. Of course you love God. Of course I love God. We just don't love him enough to stop trying to straddle the fence. Oh, we love him. But we don't love him enough to cut off the source of the leaven. Straddling the fence is not a posture that Jesus instructs us to have. In Matthew chapter 22, easy to read version, verse 37, Matthew shares this response from Christ. Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Jesus says right here, family, that we should love God with all. And that word all leaves no room for leaven. If you are to re love God with all, that leaves no room for you to straddle the fence and try to feed your flesh. I have a statement for you. We're going to say this together. Here we go. Ready? Read. You cannot love God with all and feed your flesh at all. You can't try to straddle the fence. You can't, you, can't, you can't love God with all and break off a little piece of anything for your flesh. Because all is all. You cannot feed the flesh not even a small amount because it does not take much sustenance for the flesh to react to it and grow. A little leaven family leavens the lump. What we have to do is stop sprinkling in that leaven. Look quickly at Matthew chapter 16, verse 6, King James Version. As a supplement to our discussion, what I want to do is I want to insert a parallel thought. If there is bad leaven, the implication is there is also good leaven. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus says, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 16, verse 6, King James Version, then Jesus said unto them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. I want you to check this out. Because what he does here is he uses the word leaven, but he has this of. Leaven of the Pharisees and leaven of the Sadducees. In other words, what he is saying is, I want you to be careful and be aware and take heed of anything that causes you to turn away from God or stop being how God wants you to be or stop you from pursuing those things that God wants you to pursue. I want you to beware of anything that turns you from God. He calls out a specific kind of bad leaven. Now, on the flip side, if we do godly pursuits, 
if the things we let in our eyes and our ears and our senses, if all of our inputs that we focus in on are godly, then that introduces good leaven into our lives. I call it, I want you to say this with me, say leaven of the spirit. Just to be completely clear, leaven of the spirit is not in the Bible. That's my statement. That's my term. But it makes the point. If you input into your spirit seeds that are godly, just like those bad seeds grow in your flesh and cause your flesh to get stronger, those godly seeds cause your spirit to grow and get stronger. But experiencing the effects of good leaven requires diligence on your part. Remember that you are the one who controls whether your flesh or your spirit is the one who gets fed. Therefore, say this with me. If you think you are too godly to be in the third extreme, think again. If you think you're too godly to be in the position where your flesh is getting strong right along with your spirit getting strong, you need to think again. Family, it only takes a little leaven to get your flesh to be in that position. Consequently, if you are there, you may be there unknowingly, but you are not there by accident. You are in that space where your flesh is getting stronger by your own permission. You are in that space because you are feeding your flesh. Here is the sneaky part. Say this with me. It is easy to become comfortable with the leaven you sprinkle in your flesh on a daily basis. The flesh that you sprinkle into your, the, 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 the leaven that you sprinkle into your flesh on a daily basis is so easy to get comfortable with it because it's so convenient. It's so available. And you sit there in that church and you give out your hallelujahs and your shatas and your shakras and everything else. And at the same time, those individuals are sprinkling in that leaven. It is so small that you convince yourself that it has no effect but you are misleading yourself. The tiniest touches of leaven in your flesh are toxic. It only takes a little tiny smidgen of leaven, family, to stunt your spiritual growth. And we wrap up with this. A little leaven, family. We've talked, I know we spent a lot of time talking about the virtual side of things, but keep in mind, 
whatever your flesh wants, whenever you sprinkle it, whenever you say yes, that's leaven. Because when you say yes and it gets the satisfaction, it's going to demand it again. So whether it's food, whether it's a drink or any kind of chemical substance, Every time, if it's a person, if it's a relationship, if it's a rush, every time you say yes, it's growing. And it's growing silently inside of you. And it's causing you to be a conflicting term, a flesh-driven believer. Say this with me. A little leaven leavens everything. Starting today, I'm going to commit to identify the source of my leaven and cut it out of my life. I love you so much, family. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for each and every person here. When we understand and know how much love you have for us. Oh God, we, we can't help but come to the conclusion that the best thing that we can do is love you back. There are so many things that are conveniently at our fingertips. We are really good at acknowledging and identifying and keeping the big stuff out of our life. But these small foxes that run in and out of our life are just like leaven that gets mixed in dough. And where we think that we are doing a good job at keeping our flesh in check, we're not. We know the things that we should do to be in good health, but we convince ourselves that the things that we do opposite of that is okay. We know the things that help us have good soundness of mind, but we still do the things that are opposite and we convince ourselves that it's okay. We know the things that we do, that we can do that would put us in a better financial situation than we are right now, but we convince ourselves that the things that we're doing right now is fine and we keep doing them. Whenever we keep doing those things, God, that run contrary to what we know is not the right thing to do, what we're doing is we're feeding that flesh, we're sprinkling in leaven. My desire is that today we say today's the last day. As a matter of fact, the last moment was a second ago. Sometimes we hear that phrase, God, that there's no better time like the present. And we put the present into a day context. God, we're going to tighten that. There's no better time than this present second to make the change that we know will affect our lives for the better. That is my desire and that is my prayer, that is my confession that each and every person 
under the sound of my voice makes a decision that a second ago was the last time they feed that flesh. We eagerly look forward to the testimonies of how they are completely on the side of Team God. No longer, even if unknowingly, trying to straddle the fence. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.